Welcome to this week's episode of the Casual Shooter Podcast. Unfortunately, you're only getting me. Leo and Huggy, for other reasons, can't seem to make it today. So it's going to be me with a very distinguished guest today, Nels Jonasson, USPSA Grand Master, multiple national champion and world champion. So let me go ahead and bring him in here because I know you don't want to hear me talking. Hey, Nels. How's it going, David? Good. I hope I didn't butcher your last name no not a nils jonason is uh as close a pronunciation as i'm ever going to get so it it works for me okay uh what we actually let me go ahead and let you introduce yourself real quick yeah so my name is nils jonason and i've been shooting uspsa style pistol competition since 2002 i've been doing it for around 19 years i started shooting when i was 12 years old and since then I've shot a bunch of different styles of match, mostly with handguns um, in USPSA, uh, Steel Challenge. I've done a little three-gun here and there, and I've even shot IDPA as well. So I've shot nationals, I've shot world championships, and I've done fairly well. I think I've won at least a world championship in each of those uh, sports, so IDPA, IPSC, and USPSA, uh, and then national championships in all of them as well. Well, that's impressive. I, I I noticed when I went on the website, USPSA website, I had written down every year you had won something. And between 2012 and 2016, so for a five-year stretch, you won at least one national championship every year. And on two occasions, you won two national championships. 2014 and 2016, you won limited and single stack both years. Yeah, so in one of those years, and it might have been 2014, uh, I, I threw a multi-gun USPSA national championship in there, too, in tactical division, just for fun. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I say just for fun. I beat Daniel Horner by the skin of my teeth and got really lucky. Um, so that was a pretty big achievement for me as well. Uh, sometimes it's better to be lucky. You know, so, I'll take it. If that's what it needs, so like, I'll take it. A win is a win. And over Daniel Horner, that's that's good to go. Agreed. Um, all right. So that brings us into a bunch of questions. But what we normally do is we throw some more personal questions out there. Get to know Nils. So the first one is, what's your favorite movie? <sighs> kind of depends on my mood. Okay. Um, I've got several movies that I really, really enjoy watching, and they're all very different genres. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time is actually Trading Places with Eddie Murphy. That's a very good movie. It's an excellent movie. So that one's... Inga uh, from Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's funny, but it's got a, a lot of like real-life stuff to it as well, which like I enjoyed it years ago, and then re-watching it, uh, more recently, I you know I get more out of the movie what rewatching it now, okay. but that's definitely a, a go to. And if I had to pick one, I'd probably say Trading Places. Okay, that's a good option. How about uh, favorite book? So I'm actually reading several books right now. Um, right now, I'm working on a book called The Mindful Athlete. Uh, so I'm big into right now, I'm getting more into sports psychology and figuring out like the reasons why things happen in at the world of athletics rather than just dealing with the mechanics of, you know, shooting. 
Yeah, that's so that's that's a really good book I'm reading right now. Um, I don't think I really have a favorite book, at least that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. Now you've been shooting for 19 years. You already have, as we discussed, a lot of world and national championships. Why are you getting into the psychology now for someone who's already reached the pinnacle? <laughs> um, what is the saying? It's not the, it's not perfection. It's the striving for perfection that drives a lot of people, right? Like you're never going to be perfect. And Correct. I don't think there's anyone that I would consider has reached a level of perfection in sports shooting by any means. And anybody that thinks they have, they might as well just quit because I mean, Good you for them. What, why bother? Exactly. You've already reached right. as high as you could ever go. So right, perfection is never something you're going to be able to achieve. So I think the best anyone can strive to do is is the best that they're capable of doing, which is going to be different for everybody. So like, I really enjoy shooting. Like, if I didn't get paid to shoot it, and I'm fortunate enough to work with Canic handguns uh, and Century Arms, and I actually like this is my full time job. Shooting is my work. But even if I didn't get paid, I would do it for fun. Like that's what I enjoy going out on the weekends and doing. Okay. All right. So the passion is there even as long as you've been doing this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. And the interesting thing to expand on that, it's not something that I'll do with the level of frequency that I am right now, right? Like there, I've gone through cycles where it's more enjoyable or I'll hit a plateau or, you know, I've shot all of these matches in a row and now i'm kind of in a funk sort of thing so that happens to me as well and i'm trying to mitigate that a little bit and find a better balance so i'm not you know all or nothing right you can stay up longer and not right. hit your valleys I or, got it. or choose when i'm at my peak performance okay all right i like it so who's your favorite historical figure Favorite historical figure in what sense? U.S. history or worldwide? Anything. Anything at all. Since the dawning of time. Mm -hmm. That's a question that I would probably want to answer after thinking about that a little bit more. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I could pull an honest answer out of my butt um, and have it mean anything right now, to be honest. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let me think about that one. I'll circle back to that. Okay. As our new press secretary. Uh, I was about to say, you sound like uh, <laughs> Jen Pisaki there. Um, before I go any further, I had a note here to just say congratulations on getting married. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. I've and known I my now wife, Jessica, for almost six years. And pretty soon we're coming up on our one year wedding anniversary. So thank you very much. And you've learned what all of us married guys have learned, which is you can't teach your wife how to shoot. <laughs> um, so there's an interesting story behind that um, so I met Jessica while I was working in a gun store uh, so shooting actually brought us together in kind of a funny way she was finding um, 40 caliber major IPSC ammunition for her Canadian friends that were flying in from out of state to shoot some local matches and she was talking to another sales representative and she said some key words like ipsic and 40 caliber major and so already i'm paying attention and wow she's you know pretty good looking gal so i may have interjected myself into their conversation and Stalker. fast forward six years we're married there you go hey wow 
Very interesting. I, and I just brought that up because uh, I believe you had posted something. It might have been Instagram where you made a comment about, eh, it might not be the best thing to do to try to give your wife advice while you're shooting. Well, so uh, I think men in general like to help uh, female shooters. And I mean, I think most competitive shooters are very helpful in general. But for some reason, we find the need to help pretty girls solve all their problems. And that isn't always the best solution for that person, right? They, they may not want everything spoon-fed to them. They might actually want to go through a process and learn it on their own. Absolutely. Because if you're told how to do something, you don't necessarily learn how to do that thing. But if you figure out how to do it correctly, you're in a much better spot long-term. I, I agree. I've even found um, I've been shooting competitively, mostly rifle, since hmm. 1986. Um, and my wife, my current wife had never shot before. So when I took her to the range, it, it's weird when I, when I'm talking to someone I don't know, then I'm very specific. I spell everything out. I'm very patient. But with my wife, it was kind of like I was expecting her to know what I was saying and do exactly right. what I'm saying she needs to do. So we're both like, Rah! like, all right, this isn't working very well. And I don't care how long you've been together, like nobody has, you know, ESP. Nobody knows what you're thinking, exactly. even though you might think they do. <laughs> exactly. All right. So I, I did notice too, that on your Instagram, you even had a picture you shot NRL. Yes. Uh, very infrequently. Um, and I think that's more of just a time commitment thing for me. Like I've got so many other things going on. But I'm fortunate enough to know some of the people that uh, that work and run the Voodoo Gunworks out of oh, okay. St. George, Utah. And I have one of their Voodoo Precision Bolt Action 22 rifles. And it's an amazing, amazing platform. Uh, like it'll it'll shoot, you know, 10 times better than I ever will. Like 100 yards, it'll put, you know, bullet hole groups as long as it's not too windy uh, all day long. So it's very... It's crazy what those guns can do. Well, and, and I know we're going to be getting a mechanic. And, um, you know, with, with rifle, I look for a rifle and ammo combo, combo that I don't have to worry about the accuracy of it. I just have to worry about the knucklehead behind the gun. Yep. Same thing with the Canik. I actually shot uh, when I initially got it and I was zeroing it at 25 yards. I, I bench rested it because I was just trying to get the dot in. And I shot a three quarter by half inch five shot group at 25 yards. And I was like, well, this gun shoots better than I ever will. So we're good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you know that your gear is on point, your ammo set up and everything else is going to work, then when it's match day or you go to a competition, the only thing you need to you know, focus on and use energy towards is your performance and what you've got to do at that point. So you're not yeah. distracted. So generally that means you're going to perform better right at least that's you've got the confidence that that's going to work it's not even a thought right well i mean if you're if your platform doesn't work for whatever reason now you need to pull you have to divert attention from you know aligning the sights or everything else that's going on while you're firing the gun to wow i hope my gun works this time or like i hope my holster doesn't snag or i hope all those kind of things detract from your ability to focus on the the shit that's important right exactly 
Now I noticed, um, I remember your post when you initially posted that you were officially sponsored by Canic. I could, I was thinking it was May, but I went back and it, it was April of 2019. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I noticed was that you immediately started shooting that gun in competition. Like there was no delay. And just for example, right. I mean, JJ's a, a great shooter. I'm not, um, but I noticed he signed with Beretta last spring, but mm-hmm. he didn't shoot it in competition last year. Right. And the reason I bring that up is my question is that year you went to nationals and you were third overall in carry optics. And with your Canic, you were second in production and you were only, uh, you were less than 1% off of Ben Stegger. And now you were 30th in open, but you're shooting open <laughs> minor with a Canic and you still beat a ton of people. As you said, let me see how this does against the $8,000 guns. I think in a way it held its own. As a matter of fact, your alpha count was way higher than probably 95% of everybody who shot. Well, when you're shooting minor, you have so, to be. Otherwise, you're just going to get eviscerated. This is true. Um, so my my question is, what was the learning curve for you going from whatever it was, whatever platform you had been shooting to shooting the Canic? So let me back up a little bit. So yes, uh, I officially signed the contract with Canic. It would have been, I believe, April of 2019. Um, they approached me obviously at the end of 20 or towards the end of 2018. Um, and they're like, is this something you'd be interested in doing? And I'm of the mindset that I'm not going to promote something unless I would actually use it and buy it and could recommend it in good conscience. Right. So, you know, unless you're going to pay me a a trillion dollars, like obviously everyone's got a number, right. Right. Uh, To be an, an actual shill, but, uh, I, I didn't accept their offer. I, uh, I said, send me a couple guns. Let's see if, let's see if they can do what I need them to do. Like if, if it's not something, uh, that I can go to a nationals with and feel that I can perform at the level I need to perform at, then the answer is probably going to be no. So they sent me a pair of guns and I shot. So the reason I started right away after I signed is because I'd already been shooting it secretly, um, for about three months. So, and I'd gone through the platform, I'd, you know, found, you know, what it's capable of doing, what it's not capable of doing, and learned that it's actually an awesome, awesome platform. And the fact that it's hundreds of dollars cheaper than its nearest competitor is just icing on the cake, quite frankly. It doesn't mean it's, you know, a lesser gun. It's just a better deal. Totally agree. So, like, I honestly believe that. And it's it's a lot easier to promote something that that you feel that way about. I can't speak to JJ or, or any other um, professional shooters, but that's how I feel about it. Okay. Uh, now, how did Canic? Do you know how how they singled you out? Like, what what was the attraction there? Any idea? So I, I actually know exactly how. Okay. Um, there was a headhunter um, named Ben Cook. And he was tasked by Century Arms, who is the, the U.S. importer for Canic Arms. So if you, if you call up Canic USA, that's actually the Century Arms customer service department. Uh, so anything um, in the United States 
that's Canic related is handled by the importer, which is Century Arms. So he was tasked with finding um, a representative or a, a high level professional shooter for Canic and Century Arms. And I've heard and I've uh, substantiated this with a couple different sources that he had put together a, a group of three um, high level professional shooters that were already in the industry, already worked for different companies. And after brainstorming together, I was the name that they came up with as a as a collective. And the the three names on that list were, were JJ Ricaza uh, being one of them. Max Michelle was another and Travis Tomasi was the third. Oh, wow. And for whatever reason, they came to the conclusion that I would be a good fit. And that's when they they reached out to me and we started talking. Very interesting. That's a that's a pretty good backstory. Wow. Yeah, I was kind of I was kind of blown away because I I'd I know JJ Ricasa relatively well uh, and the same with Travis Tomasi, but I don't really know Max Michelle all that well. Um, so to hear that, you know, the three of them, you know, even knew about me for one, it was kind of kind of cool for me. Uh, but that would recommend me to represent another gun company in the industry was was that's awesome. That is awesome. I, I hear Max is hard to beat in carry optics, but I hear it's just a rumor. I don't know. Don't worry, I got him this year. Oh, I like it. I will get him this year. Okay, I like so, it. Uh, a fun fun fact. So Max Michelle has won every single carry optics national since its inception, I believe. Yes. Um this last year. Uh, there's a gentleman named Jason, Jason Brad, yep. Bradley, Jason Bradley. Yep. Uh, finished second, um, like a percent behind Max Michelle at Carry Optics Nationals last year with a Canic. Yes. So um, that's cool for me because I work for Canic and promoting the brand is super important, but also Max is beatable. It, he's human like everybody else. Absolutely. And yeah. people forget that sometimes. Like, yes. Even Eric Raffel or Rob Latham or me, like everybody can have a great day and everyone can have a bad day. Yeah. And so, and... I mean, the, your job is, is your match and, you know, putting two acceptable hits on paper. And if you're worried about what I'm doing or what Robbie's doing or what Eric Raffel's doing, you're not doing that. Yeah. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yep. Uh, the three of us were at nationals this past October, um, but we shot opposite times of the super squad. So there were a couple times where we hung out and got to watch the two super squad shoot. So we got to see Max and Casey and you and Mason and everybody, um, which was very interesting. We, we learned, we determined that there's actually a height requirement to be a national champion in production. You've got to be six foot five. Everybody <laughs> on that squad was like six foot five. It was ridiculous. So how is Ben Stoger the national champion? I have then? no He's idea. Like He's cheating the system somehow. Well, <laughs> we can probably agree on that, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> well, it was just funny how the, the guy who I was hanging around with for the most part, Leo, one of the other co-hosts, He's six foot himself, and he was like looking up to everybody. And we looked at each other and we're like, who are all these guys? They're all like Godzilla height. What is going on? Everybody's <laughs> tall. 
So. Yeah, and then some of the people that weren't even there, people, I don't know if you know Bob Crow out of uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, but he's like 6'9". And cow. he's another guy that if he goes to a production nationals or any nationals, he's a legitimate contender to win. Oh, wow. So, yeah, no, I don't even know him. But then you've got guys like Tim Heron who are a little short of that six foot mark and somehow find a way to kick everybody else's ass. So, even Casey, I don't think there's a height requirement. Everyone's got their own strengths and weaknesses, right? I, I agree. It was just funny how there were a lot of people yeah. on there that were very tall. And we, we literally, everybody walked, because we were standing between stage one and stage two. So we were able to watch um, the two uh, super squads on both stages from that middle section. So you could watch in the shoot house and watch you guys on stage two running across. Mm -hmm. So it was very, everybody walked past us. We just looked at each other like, oh my <laughs> gosh, why is everybody so tall on his squad? It's ridiculous. Uh, and we looked at we're like, yeah, we're never going to win a national champion at this point. <laughs> we're not tall enough. Well, uh, so I can, I can disprove that point. Casey Acebio. Did he, did he win production though? Well, probably not. He's probably won production at Steel Challenge. Okay. Does that count? Uh, well, there's no movement though. I mean, no, there's there's two yards of movement in Steel Challenge, David. <laughs> this is true. Okay, you got me there. But stage two had a lot of movement. Mm. That was a pretty good run. Yes. And indeed. and when you guys take four pace, you know, four steps, and we're taking ninety steps, there's a big difference there. There is for sure. <laughs> but it was just an interesting coincidence. Now, did you compete in 27? Did you go to nationals in 2017? I'm sure I did. Okay. Yeah, I've I've had a couple of years where I didn't win anything. Um and twenty seventeen may be one of them. Um I think the the most notable year that I didn't win the matches I wanted to win was twenty eleven. And the reason I wanted to win something in twenty eleven was because at the time I was shooting a twenty eleven platform and I had just won the twenty ten USPSA Limited Nationals, which was my first national win ever. And the next year, I'm like, wow, it's 2011. Like, it's 100 years since the 1911, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, that would be awesome if I could win, you know, the 1911 Nationals for single stack, you know, and maybe the the limited Nationals with the 2011. That would and be I didn't win neat. anything that year. Uh, did anybody <laughs> win with the 2011 myself. platform? Pardon? Did anybody win with the 2011 platform? I'm sure they did. Okay. I'd have to go back and check. Somebody won something with the 2011 platform one. Probably safe to say that. So how long did it... I, I see that you are a GM and everything but PCC? Yes. Okay. Now, how long did it take you to become a GM in your first division, whichever that was? So the first division I made GM in was actually Revolver, if you can believe that. Wow. Uh, and I'd been shooting mostly limited up to that point, And I want to say it was like 2004 five or 2006 so it probably took me three or four years since i started shooting from when i started shooting to when i made a gm um but revolver was interesting it taught me a lot of patience because at the time i was the kid that shot really fast that couldn't hit anything but when i did holy crap um and then revolver forced me to switch gears a little bit and be intentional with every single shot when i had to be and like that elevated my shooting ability and gave me an extra arrow in the quiver so to oh, say so okay. after that 
like any division I chose to shoot, like becoming a grandmaster, and it wasn't really even a uh, a milestone. Like yes, it happened, but it wasn't the goal. The goal was to perform in that division on like the national level as well as possible. Okay, so perform uh, as a GM, not necessarily. You didn't care if you were one, but performance. Well, so that's a really interesting point. So if you look at the scores for USPSA Nationals in almost any division, there are only about two, maybe three people that ever actually shoot a GM percentage score in the Nationals, which is 95%, which, I mean, that's a high percentage, uh, but there are tons and tons of Grandmasters. And I don't know the exact reason for that. Obviously, uh, a 25-stage USPSA Nationals is vastly different than an eight-round stand-and-shoot short course. Totally. uh, Which is what most of the classifiers are. So that might play a factor, but I think it's more of the the mental side of it where you're screwing with your own head, worrying about other people and not doing what you need to do um, more than you're good at speed shoots but not matches. Like that's... If you're good at shooting, you're good at shooting, regardless. And and I've always felt that I've always been. I'm a B class now, um, working towards A. But I've always felt that if I work towards my performance in a match, then the classifiers will take care of themselves. Mm. So we'll see how that works out. But yeah and the funny thing is i know people that like i started off in b class when i finally got classified in uspsa but i started shooting steel matches so it I, that didn't work against my classification so technically i jumped past d and c class but you know not really but i know people that started off as a class shooters or master class shooters um everyone's got their own you know level of progression their own progression curve yeah and the, the rifle shooting is kind of done me in because it's more precision. So Mm. I'm finding that I'm having to force myself to speed up and not be afraid of those, you know, C's or an occasional D or whatever to, to force myself to shoot faster. So. Right. You're still looking for that perfect sight picture. Like you would need it. Say what kind of rifle shooting did you do? Uh, high power, long range. Okay. So like NRA, NRA NRA across the course out to 500 yards. Thousand. Yeah. Oh, a thousand. So you shot like the Palma style NRA. I didn't shoot Palma, but uh, NRA high power iron sights uh, at a thousand. So across the course is 200, 300, 600 yards, and then you have thousand yard matches. Right. So, yeah. So you're trapped in the mindset of everything has to be perfect for me to even contact the paper at a thousand yards, let alone hit the center. Right. Yes. So. If your breathing isn't perfect, if your side alignment isn't perfect, if your trigger press isn't perfect, if any of those things are out of whack, then you don't even hit the paper, basically. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. Um, So it's getting out of that mindset. Yeah, I get that struggle. So, yeah, what you have probably been working towards in USPSA, at least, because it's so speed centric, especially now with the hit factors that are not out of control, but higher than they probably should be. Like speed is much more important than shooting an alpha over a Charlie in most cases. Um, but it's difficult to prioritize accuracy when you need to, and then not not care about accuracy when the targets are easier, but accept uh, a broader definition of accuracy on easier targets. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, right? accuracy doesn't have to be pinpoint anymore. It's a it's a big box. It's not a tiny little spot. Well, and that's the thing. Like anything that gets you a hit or two hits inside the little rectangle cardboard box at, you know, either five yards or 50 yards, you know, whatever you need to do to achieve that, that's how fast you can shoot that target. Yeah. So working on that. I know we all are. You're never, <laughs> you're going to die working on that. Just like me. <laughs> okay. Taking that to the grave with me. Um, so do you plan on shooting the world shoot? Yes. Um, hi, Henry. This is my cat, Henry, by the way. Hello, Henry. Uh, so yes, I'm planning on shooting the Ipsic World Shoot in Thailand this year in standard division, assuming it happens. Okay. Um, obviously they pushed it from 2020 to 2021 because of everything that's going on. Um, and I, hopefully they actually hold the match, uh, but I don't know for sure that they will. I don't think anyone does. Um, but yes, if they have the match, I will go. Okay. Now, when you say standard division, is that like production in USPSA? The standard division is essentially the IPSC version of limited. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And the reason I'm shooting standard in IPSC is because over the last three years, uh, I accrued matches in limited division. Um, and I'm actually on the U.S. team in standard division for the world championship. So I'm okay. kind of locked into that division. Okay. Uh, which is the primary reason I'm doing that. Okay. Now that leads me to a question um, that's further down in my list, but you're shooting standard. And mm -hmm. I recall you, I don't know if it was in an interview or you posted something on a social media site that Canik is looking to make a production legal IPSC gun. Do I have that right? Um, it would definitely be something we're interested in doing. We have several things that we're working on. Um, I couldn't tell you yes or no to that specific question. Okay. Um, but I'm sure long term, like absolutely, we'd have something for the IPSC space um, that would people could shoot either in production optics or production division. Okay. I take it the SFX does not fall within the production optics. So the only thing that uh, bumps the current SFX out as far as international competition like IPSC is the fact that it's a 5.2 inch barrel. So the, ma the maximum barrel length is five inches. Okay. So, it's so like the Elite Combat could. Yes. Okay. Or the standard uh, Canik SF. So if you wanted to shoot production division, you could shoot uh, the standard Canik SF, um, which is like a $399, $400 gun. Um, and that's legal for production for sure. Okay. All right. Lost where I was at here. <laughs> so you, we interviewed Frank Shu a couple weeks ago. His, um, his interview goes live Monday and okay. we were talking to him and we know he's a sponsored shooter. You're the, the Canik team captain, as I understand. Now, how yes. many, how many Canik shooting team members are there? So in the United States, um, probably the main 
like actually sponsor Canic Shooters, obviously myself uh, and Frank. Okay. Um, internationally in Turkey, we have several people that we're working with, uh, bringing them up to speed. But internationally, we have some people. Um, and so right now, Frank and myself are going to be the primary members of the team. Okay. And he was saying he works, he's saying he basically tries to deal with like, um, I don't want to say aftermarket products, but it's the best way I could phrase it at the moment. I know he works a lot with accessories. Uh, I know he works with um, like Freedom Smith Triggers and Spring Co. And he has several uh, other companies that he's working with to, to build accessory lines, um, which is super important for any platform. Like you want as many aftermarket parts as possible. Which brings me to you had posted a video, which I thought was awesome, that was talking about why here in the U.S. some people get stovepipes with the SFX. Talking about the different, you know, the recoil spring and what it's set up for versus the American ammo mm. here in the States. Um, now, I don't remember where, was that on Instagram or was that? Uh, I posted that type of thing several different places but the in a nutshell um and century arms and canic have gotten uh, way better at it so 99.99 percent of everything in the united states um with standard ammo off the shelf people aren't going to have an issue with it uh, but you know just like everything there'd be every once in a while somebody's running like really really light hand reloads or that type of thing uh, and since the gun uh, in Turkey is designed around NATO ammunition, which is one relatively hot. So it's got more energy to cycle the gun. Mm -hmm. But another thing they contend with there uh, is their primers are very, very inconsistent. Mm. So like a lot of the ammunition in that part of the world, uh, you're basically hitting that primer with uh, a sledgehammer in order to get it off. And just like any striker-fired platform, you've got your striker and your recoil spring has to overpower that striker spring in order to hold it into battery. So it's kind of a balancing act. Um, thankfully, in the United States, our primers are way better than that. So we have the ability to use uh, lighter striker springs. So then the need for a heavy recoil spring isn't there. Um, so if people are running or want to run super light ammunition, there are several aftermarket options as far as, you know, reduced power recoil springs and that type of thing. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and for the record, I've not had any issues with mine. So, and most people don't, yeah. um, but you know, just like the squeaky wheel gets the oil, the, the oil, um, the, the, the naysayers are usually the loudest. Yes. So that's okay. We want to, you know, if, They've got problems. We want to help them. If they don't have problems, like we're happy about that too. So we want uh, everyone up to speed, regardless. Now I know you made two trips to Turkey this year already. So there. Uh, yeah. So I made actually made one trip. I think it was in November of last year, and then I just got back three weeks ago. Oh, okay. Um, I was thinking it was January. Wow. I'm yeah, the time flies though. <laughs> uh, yeah, international travel, especially with all the the health stuff going on right now, uh, has been pretty crazy. So, is there um, there? I don't. I know. I know you're busy. I get on certain websites, and 
you had posted something recently where you were shooting in Turkey and you had like the cartoon gun over top of your hand. Uh And I don't know if you know this, but there has been a lot of chatter about people dissecting that picture and seeing what they thought is a magwell on the bottom Mm -hmm. of the grip. And they're like, is that a magwell? Is there something new coming out? Right. So is there anything in the works new coming out for the Uh, U.S. market? I've I've been told that uh, we're planning um, a a release sometime probably the first half of this year. Um, So second or third quarter, sorry, first or second quarter of 2021. Um, And things may change. Like we may run into an issue here or there, but the the plan is a timeframe like that. Uh, As far as what it is, I couldn't tell you right okay well, it's <laughs> nice to know that there is something new because it i mean there's it's hard to find stuff mechanic stuff out there right now it's really hard so yeah. well i mean firearms in general but yes. as, one of the reasons i really enjoy working with canic is even though they make a gun that's as good as it is and their their platform is in my opinion better in most cases than other stuff out there on the market um they still want it to be better so they're not happy with where they're at. They want to make a better platform, even if it's already, you know, the best they could possibly do. They want to make it better. So it's that, you know, they're continuing and, and driving for the best possible product in every segment that they can that they can reach. Okay. And even Frank was saying something about that, that how responsive they have been to little things here and there. Mm-hmm. And I was... Um, I haven't been to SHOT Show since 96, <laughs> so... You're not missing much. <laughs> but, uh, well, he was even saying at the um, Century Arms booth, where it was half Century Arms, half Canic, mm-hmm. he said they even sent an, an engineer and some other people over from Turkey. And, I was, mm-hmm. and, and that, to me, was impressive that they would send that level of employee, or several of them, over to the U.S., and and have them there at the booth to discuss things. I, I find that very impressive that a company would do that. That's a long way to send people. It is. Um, and yeah, it's that's the, the downside of being a professional shooter is uh, on social media, you don't see the 26 hours I spend on a plane or in an airport just to get to the Canic factory in right. Turkey. Um, but it's the price I'm willing to pay. Uh, it's you know worth every second of it. But it's not just engineers and sales guys from Turkey that that come. Like the literally the owner of the company, the guy that runs the factory will come. The guy that owns and is in charge of everything as a whole in Turkey will come to the United States for Shot Show as well. Um, not because he has to, but because he cares. He actually cares about. Stop it, Henry. He actually cares. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Cats, man. He actually cares about the product being right. He cares about the product being right for the target market. Like, he wants to hear uh, how people interact with it. He wants to know how he can do better. Um, they're always trying to improve and, and expand what they're already doing. So they that's their primary focus, believe it or not, even above making money. Wow, And that's super encouraging for me to see, especially in a company that I'm working with. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. Because, I mean, I mean, in the U.S., you're, you're really the face of Canik. So if they're not that way, then it's going to reflect on you just as much as it will them. Right. 
But that Absolutely. that that makes you know Canic even more endearing. So uh, that's awesome to hear. That is fantastic. Now I, I wanted to, being the level of shooter you are, when we had we had Tim on also, um, and we've talked to Tim. One of our co-hosts invested in a cool fire training system. Uh -huh. um, have you ever? Played around yeah, with one I, of those? I, I know of them. Uh, okay. I haven't... I don't own one personally. I've seen them work, and I know people that use them. Uh, and I've had a conversation with the, the owner and the creator of the Cool Fire system. Oh. Um, and, I mean, it's a, it's a innovative design. It's cool to get some recoil uh, incorporated into your dry fire. So it, it couldn't be a bad thing. Uh, I'm not currently using any kind of system like that. More because of time constraints and I've got a lot of other stuff going on. You know, I don't have the ability to set up every single new training tool on earth, but I could definitely see it being a benefit to certain people. Okay. And, and that's what I was going to ask about. I mean, I, I feel that there's always something you can learn in training, even if it is something like that, even if it's a, a gimmicky item, mm. um, just so long as you know what it is you're trying to get out of it, you know, and it's, but. Right. Well, and, and use it as a tool rather than an entertainment device. Right? Exactly. Like, and the cool fire system is great. It's relatively expensive, though. Uh, there are less expensive options out there. I mean, for example, uh, a company that I work with is iDryFire. So iMarksman slash iDryFire, it's kind of the same parent company. And they do laser cartridges for every caliber handgun under the sun. And it's literally... A, you, pop this little laser thing on the, in the firing pin will actuate the laser just like firing a bullet, like the laser is going to go in the same spot. So it's similar to the cool fire in that sense, but it doesn't actuate the firearm. It doesn't move the slide. Okay. Without the so it's, right. it's a more simplistic version of that. Uh, but it's also like 30 bucks, 40 bucks. Oh, so wow. You can still use a system like that and not spend a ton of money. That, that's a significant difference. Um, I also noticed that you had, maybe it was an interview, maybe it was another interview on another podcast. You were talking about, um, you were, tr you were trying to learn how to teach people to shoot, to become a better trainer. Am, am I saying that right? Yeah. So I, I kind of recently got an interest in, uh, adult learning and just figuring out, you know, the meaning behind certain things. Like, not meaning of life stuff necessarily. I don't think I'm that smart. But uh, who knows? Um, but yeah, and maybe not from a perspective of me teaching other people, even though that'll be an aspect of it. I, right now, I honestly don't have time to do that, um, or at least on a broader scale. Um, but if I'm able to teach someone else how to do something, I think I'm in a better position to actually understand what I'm trying to teach somebody. So now I know it better. Right. Okay. So if you can teach something in an articulate way, the only way to do that is to actually understand what you're trying to teach. Agree. Totally agree. So I, I can think of a lot of shooters and you know myself having been one of them that can do something at a high level, but they're virtually incapable of communicating that. Like they don't know what they do. They just do it. They can um, do, but they can't teach. Right. Exactly. Okay. Well, and you get and some... I think, and I think people can, you know, learn how to 
do it, I think they can, you know, a little bit of attention here and there, like they can learn a lot. But most times I find that, you know, if they're able to do something at a high level, it's very difficult for them to then convey that in a way that's understandable. Hmm. Okay. So there's a lot of the, um, a lot of the top shooters, uh, Steger, Max, I don't know if JJ does it, but they're starting to go to the online training uh-huh. thing. Is that so? You're you're busy enough at this point that getting into the realm of training is not. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I wish I had a different answer, but uh, I've got a lot of time commitments, especially with mechanic and sentry arms. Um, there may be something that's super important that I'll try and, and pencil into my schedule. But um, yeah, unfortunately, that's kind of where I'm at right now. As far as the online learning stuff, um, I think that can be super valuable. Um, I hate profiting from the shooting community. Mm. Like for some reason, I feel like they're, you know, they're, they're my people, right? They're like, they're my group of guys. Um, so while money is important, I, I hate the idea of, uh, and profiteering is the wrong way, but profiteering from, or the wrong word, but profiteering off of that industry or that group of people. Um, so I'm trying to figure out another way to make money so I can, you know, teach everybody else for free. I'll let you know how that works out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to set up a GoFundMe for Nils. <laughs> well, no, I want to avoid that. That's another topic too. <laughs> So what, what is the, I mean, obviously you're still young, so you've got plenty, you've been shooting for a long time. So it's impressive that you're not burned out. Um, how many more years do you see yourself competing? You know, if I could, uh, if I could die shooting a match at the range, I would be happy with that. Okay. Well, I mean, you could. Well, I mean, at, (laughs) at our local club and this happened years ago, but somebody, uh, and he was like, late night late 80s and i can't remember the gentleman's name i didn't know him very well uh but he shot a stage on bay two at rio salado and walked back to the bleachers after he had unloaded and show clear and he literally keeled over and had a heart attack and died i would be perfectly happy if that was me <laughs> yeah yeah i would be happy for the guy i mean he lived a long happy life he was doing what he was enjoying when when it all ended so i would be okay with that ending yeah, but, absolutely i i'm I'm in Fredericksburg, Virginia. The other two are here in Virginia also. And there's a guy I, I want. He's either 84 or 80. I think he's 84. And he shoots all the matches around here. He'll drive to North Carolina and shoot. Um, he'll go up to Shadowhawk where Area 8 is held mm-hmm. and he'll shoot. So he drives all around the area and shoots all the time. So yeah, that's awesome. It is speaking awesome. Of, speaking of that, you're up by Area 7 then, right? Um, area 8. Area 8, okay. Yeah, right outside of D.C. Gotcha. I was going to ask if you had a way to get into Area 7. I can't get in the match. (laughs) (laughs) Really? You can't get in? Well, I mean, they've got uh, a lot of uh, COVID restrictions as far as that goes. So their Mm. their match capacity is basically 150 people. Wow. They they ended up doing a a lottery system this year, which kind of sucks, but I understand why they did it. Um, So... Hopefully enough people drop out and, you know, they bump Nils Jonasson up the list a little bit. There you go. Wow. That's I, I, and to be honest, I, you know, we've had this discussion on other podcasts 
where uh, I said I would I would prefer to go and shoot matches where the higher level shooters are there. Like mm. I was looking forward to seeing you shoot area eight and then you went and pulled a sneaky one and moved the day <laughs> you were shooting. So I was very disappointed that I missed you last year at area eight. Just say, just saying. Well, in hindsight, area eight, that was, that was the, the controversy year, right? controversy area match so yeah yes area eight was a huge cluster f for yes. for, for me see basically. if you'd stayed on saturday you'd have been fine i know like <laughs> nobody would say i'm like a cheating bastard or anything right <laughs> exactly that was the one they the there was a huge backlog we shot saturday there was a huge backlog saturday because one of the stages i think it was stage 12 the the props weren't working properly so okay. there were like that three. was the one with all the swingers in the back, yes. right? Yeah. Yep. And there were like three of us, three Didn't squads. They, that stage out? they did while we were oh. waiting. They came up and they're like, "Hey guys, we gotta we gotta throw this stage out. We can't get the um, the devices to work properly." So we're like, "Okay, no big deal. Thanks for letting yeah. us know." And and you know we moved on. All was good. But yeah, there were a couple little hiccups, but. Yeah, I knew that. So uh, Yi Ming was the RO on that stage, and I'm sure it killed him to have the stage that he was in charge of thrown out. Like, there's no way he was happy about that. Yeah, probably not. Uh, but even uh, even Max dropped out of that match. He didn't he didn't shoot that match. I was hoping to see yeah, you think, and Max. Well, so that I think Max ended up postponing or not coming to area eight uh last year mainly due to covid and he had some just travel stuff out of where he was flying out of or he had some kind of issue with that so pretty sure that's why max wasn't there yeah everything was messed up last year so and then this yeah. year we have the ammo problem so oh yeah, yeah. so what you got is, any primers you, <laughs> you know, yeah you know i've been watching a lot of youtube videos on how to make them <laughs> yeah i haven't ventured that far down the rabbit hole but who knows <laughs> well i actually found a company that sells believe it or not priming compound really yep they they market it for 22 long rifle but they give instructions for any caliber and how how much of their compound it takes to create those so i'm like okay if i just buy several thousand rounds of dirty brass pop the primers out, clean them all up, repack them. I, I've got something to shoot with. Interesting. Yes, very and interesting. Quite frankly, it may come down to that. I mean, it if it continues going how it's been going for the last six months, um, if all of 2021 like is like that, probably not going to have uh, USBSA matches in 2022. I, I agree. It's. I mean, it's already at a point where I'm like, okay, I can't start shooting until june and then yeah. i have to you know space them out do a lot more dry fire than normal and then right. just conserve my ammo for the major matches that i want to shoot really in a couple of locals yeah and hopefully it'll it'll teach people to be a little bit more intentional with the rounds allocated towards practice too Absolutely, a lot of people you know look at how much some people shoot they're like you know tens of thousands of rounds and they just go to the range and blast rounds down range and they never learn anything um so maybe if nine millimeters a dollar round that'll incentivize them to learn something from each shot they fire yeah i don't know <laughs> i hear you absolutely 
Um, so what is, is your... that a team canic shirt? You're what is that? It is. It's a nice. <laughs> yeah. I was like, look, I got to wear it. I love it. I got my, my canic hat over here. I saw you know, that I represent. I saw that. And, and the, the Draco American flag shirt from century. Arms. Yeah. I like that. Um, yeah, I put this on because when I bought the canic, I, I had never heard of canic and I had started to look, I had been shooting some high power rifle and I started back in 2016, then I shot 2017, 2018, wanted to shoot some more pistol. I just happened to be in a Cabela's one day looking for reloading stuff for my hmm. 6.5 Creedmoor. And I was looking through the, the pistol cases and I see this gun, mechanic. I'm like, what in the world is this thing? I've never even heard of it. I'm like, anybody know what a canic is? And I'm like, hey, can I look at that? It's a guy hands it to me out. So, you know, I, I make sure it's clear. Everything's good. And I aim and I pull the trigger. I'm like, uh, wait a minute. I, I rack the slide and I pull the trigger again. I'm like, holy cow. Now, I've shot competition 45s. I have a 45 that was hand-built at Quantico. And because uh, I was a I was a sniper instructor there back in the days. And um, so that's where now you really understand why I'm very about precision right so it's very hard to get out of that precision mindset and um so i've I've shot a lot of guns that are very good as a matter of fact i was at quantico when ernest langdon was at quantico oh wow yeah it's way back in the day so ernest and i go way back but um so i felt that trigger and i'm like what i've never felt a trigger out of a off the shelf like this so you know i'm pulling it a few times i'm like okay gotta have one and then I went and shot it in a match. I'm like, yep, got to get a Canic Fanatic shirt. I am <laughs> I am all in. That's awesome. That's so, really cool to hear you say that, especially coming from uh, the precision long-range rifle background. Like you you can appreciate something that, you know, has a good trigger and will hit the the point you're aiming at. Um, so that's cool to hear you say. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely love them. I am sold on Canic. Um. So what is so with everything with the COVID issues, the ammo? I'm not sure that the ammo situation is affecting you as much, but what is your shooting competition season looking like? So last year I overdid it a little bit. Uh, I shot every single area championship. I shot every national championship I could register for that didn't conflict with something else, uh, both in USPSA and um ussl um and i did a little idpa as well like i shot steel that i shot the steel challenge world championship last year which i never do <laughs> wow i didn't realize that uh i was second to dave savigny in production division okay damn it dave <laughs> i'll get you this year another old guy <laughs> uh, you know you might think that but i mean dave is the man when i was starting out in 2000 Right before I started winning matches, um, Dave Savigny was like in full swing. And like 2000, I think it's 2006, 2007, like leading into 2010 when he was still competing. Like Dave Savigny was the man. Like he could shoot production and win production. He could shoot L10 and win L10. He could shoot limited and win limited. Like it didn't matter. He could win almost. He almost won um, open division shooting like a Glock or something. Like it was just ridiculous what Savigny could do. Um, so he's definitely up there as far as one of the all-time greats uh, in the handgun competition world. But back to my schedule, 
Um, I'm going to try and shoot the area championships this year all the way from one through eight, uh, assuming I can get into area seven. Um, I've got production nationals in USPSA. I've got carry optics nationals in USPSA. I've got limited nationals in USPSA. Um, I will shoot the steel challenge world championship again this year. Um, and then maybe a, uh, a couple of state or regional matches outside of the area championships, but mostly close to the Arizona area, which is where I'm from. As well as the world championship yes. in Thailand. So you're just planning Assuming on overdoing it, happens, it again yes. this year. Pardon? So you just plan on overdoing it again this year. Yeah, I'm going to cut down a hair. Like I've got less three gun on my schedule because I have like no 223 left. Uh, and I'm poor and I can't afford $5,000 a case 223 ammunition. Um, so I, I've got one multi-gun match schedule, which is the Superstition uh, three-gun championship in Mesa, Arizona uh, next month. Um, and then beyond that, I don't have a three-gun. It's, it's strictly pistol after that. Okay. Now you're in Phoenix or around? Yeah, Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. All right. Uh, there was a question I was going to ask, and I forget what it was. We were talking. Um, well, shoot. What was it? I am going to... I, I, I Because of your long shooting history, I have a question for you. Um, we have discussed this in one of our earlier podcasts, um, and it is division popularity. And okay. I'm going to, I'm going to share something on the screen here real quick. Come on, open up. Well, it doesn't want to share. I don't know why. That's very interesting. Let me redo that. One more time. Uh-oh. You there? I'm saying I'm having streaming issues, but... So I, I will not share. But here, I've noticed... I looked at 21 different major matches last year. Uh, through practice score, I pulled everything up, and I found it interesting that... Carry Optics was the most popular division across all divisions in USPSA. Mm -hmm. Out of the 21 major matches, they had an average of 64 Carry Optics shooters and Open had an average of 61. They were second, and then it drops down to 49 for Limited. But Limited 10 averaged 2 0.33 and revolver average 2.76 per major match. Right. I'm almost wondering if the US. Now, what's your definition of a major match? State and and sectional matches or like area championships and nationals? Area. I, I excluded nationals because they're so. Um, so many people. Yeah. So if you okay. have a revolver nationals, you know, you're going to have however many people sign up. 40 people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, um, you'll have those. So what they were is they were sectional, state, and all of the area matches. Gotcha. So that's what I used for my numbers. 
Um, but I'm, I'm almost wondering if the USPSA, due to the lack of participation, not do away with them, that's not where I'm going with this, uh -huh. but I'm almost wondering if maybe they should just create a division that includes those. Like uh, an et cetera division of uh, matches? Maybe just some type of general like low, ca low capacity outside of production, because production is still, it's the fourth... Yeah, fourth popular, you have Carry Optics, Open, Limited, and Production. So, I mean, those are always going to be there. Right. But with the other ones, um, Single Stack had 10 shooters per competition. And PCC was fifth at 32. I'm just wondering, I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts on or how do they maybe increase the participation in those divisions well the argument would be if you increase participation in one of those you're detracting from one of the higher performing divisions well, right? so true. unless you're bringing in new people you're not actually increasing your numbers you're just jimmying them and, and you know playing musical chairs um so i don't know if you know there should be a focus to um grow the divisions from within inside the sport because the people that are shooting nationals already go to shoot nationals right you know if they have a choice of three divisions they're going to pick their favorite um the single stack nationals and production nationals and l10 nationals i think it's this year paired together uh and i'm sure that production is going to be the most competitive division because that's uh of those three definitely the most popular um but I'm not surprised at all that Carry Optics is number one on that list, mainly because it's the cheapest barrier to entry. Um, yet still, not the cheapest barrier to entry, but compared to limited division, shooting major, that kind of gun, or open division, like you get 20 to 25 rounds in a magazine, you get a red dot, you get you know all this cool stuff and i mean you can buy a canic for 500 bucks you can throw a red dot on it for 300 bucks and you could literally go win the national championship with that gun um you can't do that in open like open you've got you know some ridiculous uh you know space gun that costs you know six to ten thousand dollars and like it's just kind of a daunting number for especially new shooters to wrap their head around but so I totally understand why carry optics is as popular as it is. Yeah, I, it's the poor man's open gun, as I call it. <laughs> well, Max For, Michelle yeah. did win uh, an area. I think it was area five overall with his uh, his carry optics gun. There you go. Um, and and I mean, I've been I've been doing this for a long time, and I don't need glasses. These are reading glasses, so hence the red dot on my pistol. So yep. <laughs> makes uh, aligning those sights much easier. For sure. Um, so that I remember now what my question was going to be. So we'd have to go back for a minute. You're shooting standard okay. at, well, yeah. So you're shooting standard at world shoot. What are world championships? What gun are you shooting? That's a great question. Okay. <laughs> I don't have a solid answer for you right now, unfortunately. Okay. You sound like Frank. We'd ask him a question. He's like, that's a great question. Next question. Because <laughs> it was something he wasn't he couldn't answer. So right. um that's what that sounded like. So you're not sure what you're shooting yet. 
so I have an idea, uh, and, and I've got a couple of different things planned, um, all of which may or may not work out. So I don't want to, you know, broadcast to the world something mm. and not be able to get it done. I got you. So okay. right now, that's a great question. I'd love to be able to answer it, but I can't. Okay. All right. Fair enough. It is Canik looking to, is there, and, and I, it, again, there's no solid answer here, but mm -hmm. has there been discussion about Canik? I know they, um, they had manufactured a 40 cow in the past. Mm -hmm. Is there discussion um, about doing something like that again in the future? We don't have anything off the table. Um, I can tell you our primary focus is absolutely nine millimeter. Um, and that's just a straight numbers thing. Um, okay. Nine is by far and away the, the highest demand item uh, in the United States and worldwide. So uh, we're not, we're never going to rule anything off the table. Um, but nine millimeter is definitely our focus. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair enough too. That's a good answer. Well, Nils, those are all the questions I have. I know you also do a, be a better person and some other stuff. Is there anything you want to plug? Um, well, if you haven't already, you should definitely, uh, check out Canic, uh, USA, Canic Arms and Century Arms, uh, on Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. Um, my social media on Instagram is no skills nils. Um, and yeah, you're right. I started two new Instagram pages, uh, one more recently, uh, which is more shooting specific, which would probably be, um, good for, for this audience. And it's uh, a title to that is uh, Shoot More Better. Okay. Which is kind of a goofy name. I know it's not gram grammatically correct. Uh, okay. But it's shoot, it's shoot underscore better underscore or shoot underscore more underscore better uh, on Instagram. And it's on Facebook as well. Um, and for that one, I'm focusing specifically on the shooting and both the technical side of it, but also the mental aspect of competition shooting in general, uh, and just trying to figure out how to efficiently convey what I want to convey. So shoot more better on Instagram, and then yes, uh, BAB underscore person, be a better person, also on Instagram. Uh, and that one, I'm still figuring out exactly what that's going to be. Who knows? Does the, the book you're currently reading kind of play into that? Um, I'm seeing if it does or not. Okay. So I'm, I'm using that book and a lot of other, uh, um, sports centric books, uh, to kind of see if I have an idea of what I'm even talking about. So if I do, I'll let you know. Okay. But basically what I'm learning is there are a lot of smart people that have already done stuff that, uh, I'll probably never be able to, uh, come close to accomplishing. So if I can learn from them and build off of that, then that makes my life and everybody else's life better, right? Yeah, absolutely. No reason to reinvent the wheel. Nope. Just make it more efficient. Right. All right. Well, Nils, I can't thank you enough for coming on. We appreciate it. No, thank you very much, David, for having me. All right. You take care and good luck at uh, all of your matches. I'm pulling for you. I'm looking for a Canic win at every area match, nationals and world shoot. That's the plan. Thank you. All right. Take care, Nels. Later. Bye. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah. <laughs>